Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Chapter 11 Beverly and Tommy slept in the back seat. Beverly had remembered what Mark used to tell Tommy, to get him to go to sleep. Beds are time accelerators. You go to sleep, and when you wake up, hours will have passed and you didn't even know. They were no longer held captive by restraints, but that didn't mean they were going where they wanted. While Jacob had agreed to take them west, he didn't appear to make it his top priority. They were forced to go along for the ride, the route not always over highway. Now they were in a rural area, off the beaten path. Beverly watched Jacob. Jacob watched the horde. Everybody waited. When they could, Beverly and Tommy stayed in the back seat, just trying to speed up time. Tommy awoke from his third nap of the day and looked around, momentarily dazed from the sleep. All was quiet in the woods. He looked over at his mother. Her head was propped up against the glass, and her mouth hung open. A soft, rasping half-snore sounded, and Tommy had to stifle a giggle so as not to wake her up. He looked around the jeep for something to occupy his attention now that he had returned to normal time. Finding nothing, he looked out his window at the woods. The sun beamed through the trees, dappling the ground with shadows. He looked over at his mother, and then, not wanting to wake her, quietly climbed over the back seat and out of the jeep. Jacob lay prostrate, hands on his rifle. Below him in the valley, they passed misshapen faces magnified by the superior optics of his rifle's scope. Beside him, within easy reach, was his ledger. On a cloth next to them rested his pistol and binoculars. As was always the case, the only sound that could be heard was the mournful tones of the horde below. As Jacob watched, a new sound pricked his ever-vigilant ears. From behind him a rustling of leaves, the snapping of a branch. Without taking his eyes from the scope, Jacob slowly reached for the pistol. He rolled from the scope and brought the red dot laser to bear on Tommy's head, centered between his eyes. Tommy froze even as Jacob's finger flinched from the trigger. The two stared at each other for a long second, then Jacob turned quickly back to his scope, placing the pistol on the cloth next to his ledger. He could hear the boy let out a breath. He heard him approach, felt him standing there, looking down at him. He gave the boy no acknowledgement. Seeming to need no further encouragement anyway, Tommy got down on his stomach and joined him, 
looking down into the valley. A moment passed, and then Tommy grabbed the binoculars, brought them to his eyes, trained them on the passing horde. Jacob cut his eyes at Tommy staring through his binoculars, but did not break from the scope. Growing bored with staring at the Sea of the Dead, Tommy set down the binoculars and reached over for the ledger and looked at the single name on the inside cover. He flipped through the pages, lists of names, some crossed out, others not, stared back at him. Jacob had had enough. His hand shot away from the rifle and snatched the book from the boy's grasp. Without looking away or saying a word, he carefully placed the ledger back beside him, opening it again to his wife's name on the inside cover. Out of the corner of his eye he saw the boy look dejected, and he was fine with that. Another minute passed, and Tommy again picked up the binoculars and scanned the valley below. For a moment the two lay in silence, but the silence was too much for the boy. Why do you spend so much time watching all these zombies? he said, rolling over on his back and staring up at the sky with the binoculars. Jacob tried to tune him out, the effort apparently not discouraging the boy in the least. You're shooting them, aren't you? Then you mark off the names in your book, right? he said. Again, Jacob cut his eyes to Tommy, the question briefly breaking his concentration. Tommy continued to stare through the binoculars, studying his left hand with them. When he received no response from Jacob, he lowered the binoculars and looked over at Jacob. You're putting them out of their misery, aren't you? When you shoot them, he said. Jacob maintained his silent vigil, and Tommy continued. Why only them? Why don't you try to shoot them all? he asked. Jacob blinked and pulled away from the scope ever so slightly. You can't save everybody, kid. How the rest became what they are is someone else's burden. The ones in that book? They're mine, he said, his voice low, tinged with regret. Tommy stared at Jacob a moment more, looking like he was trying to ponder the words. He placed the binoculars back up to his eyes and looked at the horde below. You're a sheriff, huh? My dad is a policeman. You'll meet him when he catches up to us. I bet you two could swap stories about all the bad guys you are... Tommy's words were cut off by the explosive report of the rifle. He jumped, almost dropping the binoculars. Realizing Jacob had taken his shot, he quickly put them back up to his eyes and scanned below. In the valley, the last of the horde passed. On the ground lay a portly elderly woman, the top half of her head blasted away. Nice shot! Tommy said. Jacob didn't answer. He flipped through his ledger and found the name he was looking for. Tommy lowered the binoculars and looked over at Jacob. Saying nothing, Jacob broke down his rifle and gathered up his things. Looking down at Tommy, he reached out and grabbed the binoculars away from him. As Jacob made his way back to the jeep, Tommy jumped up and ran after him. Beverly's sleep was fitful. She saw Mark, but Mark was not alone. The dead rushed towards him from the dark. By her side was Tommy. They tried to get away, but it felt like their feet weighed a thousand pounds, each step a labor, movement painfully slow. 
As Beverly tried to get her feet to move faster, she turned and called back to her husband. He was screaming at them, waving them away with one hand, urging them at the top of his lungs to move quickly, to run. In his other hand was a pistol. She did not know how she knew, but she was certain. Mark only had one more bullet. In the gloom, Beverly acquiesced to Mark's pleas. She grabbed Tommy's hand and tried to run against the inertia of the invisible force holding her back. As she began to leave her husband behind in the darkness, a thunderclap sounded, the last discharge of a now-empty gun. Beverly snapped awake. Realizing where she was, she put her face in her hands and immediately began to cry. As the tears came, she reached out for her son, seeking solace in what she had left. Her hands fell on the empty seat. Panic seized her. She struggled with the side door. When it wouldn't open, she clambered over the seat and out the back, her breath coming in gasps. Hitting the ground, she tore off through the woods, shouting her son's name. Jacob walked through the woods and back towards the jeep. He tried to put up a wall of silence between him and the boy, but despite his best efforts, the boy prattled on. Probably being a sheriff is the same as being a policeman, except you guys have to be elected where my dad... Tommy's commentary was cut short by the sound of his name. Tommy! Tommy! Jacob stopped in his tracks and stared into the woods ahead of him. He looked down as Tommy brushed by him at a run. Mom? Mom! Tommy said, his voice gathering the shrill sound of fear as he ran. Jacob hiked the rifle case higher on his shoulder and pulled his pistol. He quickened his pace and followed. Emerging from the woods just behind the boy, Jacob looked down at Beverly, clutching her son tightly to her breast. Chapter 12 The awkwardness was palpable to Beverly as she sat on a large rock near Jacob's Cherokee. She was hungry, but didn't feel comfortable enough to grab some food from the former sheriff's supplies. She watched as he stowed his gear, always careful, obsessively so with the rifle and his ledger. His vigil had gone long past dark, and it was near midnight when he returned. Without saying a word, he reached in and grabbed two cans, one clam chowder, the other beef stew. Using a can opener, he removed the lids and stuck a metal spoon in each, then left them sitting on the tailgate. Grabbing a can of chicken and rice, he went around to the driver's side and sat down. As Beverly and Tommy finished eating, Tommy looked up at his mother. It's almost midnight. Time for the broadcast, don't you think? He said. Beverly smiled wanly and set her empty can on the tailgate. Going around to the driver's side, she approached Jacob. The only illumination was from the jeep's interior dome light casting Jacob in amber shadows as he ate. He continued to eat as she stood there. We try to catch the radio broadcast at least once a day. Do you think we could listen to it on your radio? Beverly said. Jacob continued to eat for a few more seconds and didn't look at her. She was about to plead her case further when he shrugged and gestured toward the radio with a slight movement of his head. Beverly crossed her arms and nodded at him. Thank you. They usually aren't long. She didn't know what else to say, and Jacob's only response 
was to stare into his can and continue eating. A few seconds later, Beverly opened the passenger side door and sat down. Tommy leaned against her and turned on the radio. Jacob, his back to them, did not show any interest. Static greeted them across the airwaves, and Beverly checked her watch. She'll start right at twelve, Mom. Nicole's never late. She knows people out here are relying on her, Tommy said. Beverly blinked back her tears, hearing the quiet confidence in her young son that hinted at a wisdom beyond his years. True to her son's word, the static cleared, and a woman began to speak. This is Nicole Bennett. We are survivors. To anybody that can hear us, and can get here, we offer you refuge. I guess those words are getting old by now, but it just seems the right way to begin. We have a good place here, and we welcome any who want to make a new start, and are willing to lend a hand. Okay, it's the late broadcast, and for those weary on the road, I won't keep you long. Get some sleep, stay safe wherever you are, and tomorrow, if you can, make miles west on the 70. When you get here, there will be folks waiting at the gates for you. If you are just passing through, we can offer you a bowl of hot stew. It's made from scratch by Ruby herself. We set up a trading post of sorts. We'd be happy to trade for things we need, and maybe get you something you need. Speaking of which, we welcome you free of charge, but if on your way here you happen along some things we need, we would be obliged if you could pick them up. The things we could use right now are cases of air freshener. Along with that, those plastic zip ties, the kind cops sometimes use to cuff people. Any size will do. I said when you get here we would ask you some questions, but it's not an interrogation. We are a growing community, but still small. We need everybody to lend a hand wherever they can, but if you have a special skill, it would be good to know. This is not a dictatorship or an armed camp, just folks who need each other. We all have different strengths, and together we can make it better. I promised I would keep it short, and so I will. This is not a loop. We are real. Stay safe tonight, and get here when you can. This is Nicole Bennett, signing off. Tommy reached over and switched off the radio. He sat staring at it for several seconds before looking up at his mother. Beverly stared down at her son. The hope and pleading in his eyes was like a knife to her heart. Do you think wherever Dad is right now, he could hear the broadcast? Tommy said. The knife twisted. She took a deep breath and struggled with how to respond. Tommy... You remember when that terrible thing happened on Sunny Island, Founder's Day? Tommy nodded. Dad saved a bunch of people, he said. Beverly pulled Tommy close and held him against her. She caressed his hair and faced the black reality of her next words. Your dad was one of the bravest men I ever knew. He would always do what he had to, to keep people safe. Even if that meant putting himself in harm's way. You understand that, right? She said. Again, Tommy nodded. That's what made him such a good policeman, right? Tommy said. That's right, sweetie. That's what made him such a good policeman. Well, as much as he would do to keep other people safe, he would do even more to keep us safe. That's what he did in that tunnel. He put himself in harm's way to make sure we got out of there. 
that we would be safe. Tommy sat up and looked at her full in the face. Yeah, but Dad came back from the island. He came back from the store, too. He always comes back. His voice took on a pleading tone, mixed with a demand that what he was saying was worthy of belief, not just for himself, but her, too. Tommy's face became blurry, and her eyes rimmed with tears. Tommy, baby, this time Daddy's not coming back. He did what he had to to keep us safe, but... No, Mom, you're not listening. You're wrong, Tommy said. He took a breath to begin his argument anew when Jacob interrupted from the driver's side. So involved was she in the heart-wrenching conversation, the man seemed to her to appear out of thin air. Is that real? he said. Beverly blinked at Jacob, and Tommy turned and looked at him. That radio broadcast, is it real? I was in a house once, and the TV came on, but I didn't... Beverly wiped her eyes, frustrated at the interruption, wanting and not wanting to have the talk with Tommy. Yes, it's real. You think we would be out here if it weren't? How long have you been out here? She said. Jacob stared at her over his shoulder. Before he could answer, Tommy interjected. You think my dad's coming back, right, Mr. Miller? You're like a policeman, so you know, right? Jacob looked down at Tommy, who stared back with the same hope-filled eyes. Beverly sat up, apprehension seizing her, sensing the delicate place her son was in and not trusting Jacob to understand that. Her fear was realized when Jacob, with a flat expression, gazed down at Tommy. If your dad was in that tunnel, he's dead, if he's lucky, and one of those things if he ain't. Beverly saw tear-filled defiance flare in Tommy's eyes as he stared at Jacob. You lie! You're both lying! Tommy said. Beverly stared daggers through Jacob. You bastard! She hissed, feeling ready to lunge at him. Her attack was forestalled by the sudden movement of her son. He jumped from her arms and ran into the gathering dark. Without thinking, she gave chase, calling for him, desperate to reach him.